Praise be to God. We are going to embark on a new book today. And before I mention what that book is, we'd like to read over the final chapter of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. If there's one word that can describe this book, it would be perhaps better, the word better. A one word description or summary of the book of Hebrews. Quotation mark, better, in quotation. How is it better? I'd like to ask someone who's been with us through all the studies in Hebrews for possibly a month at least. Why would someone describe the book of Hebrews in one word, a one word summary, as simply better? What is better? Can someone please tell us? Pastor, is better covenant in the New Testament compared to Old Testament, better promises? Praise God, yes. And a better mediator for us. Praise the Lord, yes, absolutely. That's exactly the relevance of the word better. It's a better agreement, a better um, offering from God, a better covenant. The Lord Jesus said, this is my blood which is shed for many on the eve of his arrest. That night when he was arrested, when they had the Last Supper. This is the blood of the New Testament, the New Covenant, the better covenant. The book of Hebrews is written to primarily Jewish Christians to show them that all that they experience, they have something far better now, far superior. Better to Moses and all the prophets. Better than Moses and all the prophets. Moses is the premier prophet. Abraham is the father of faith, but when they think about the law and the foundation of the Jewish faith, it's by faith of the patriarch Abraham. But the law at Mount Sinai was the beginning of that theocratic government, God ruling over the people. He brought a people out who didn't know anything, basically. They were slaves. And he brought them out and he gave them the law. He began to establish order and relationship with them. And he gave them the terms of the covenant. So they had all this established, as we know, 1,500 years have passed. And the Lord Jesus came and fulfilled all the program of God, the plan of redemption. 
And these people attempted to leave this new faith because of persuasion from false people, whom the Apostle Paul says in other places as well, such as Galatians, people of the circumcision, people of the old covenant, people that come to Judaize Christians to get them back to the old law and begin, as it's written in Colossians also, to lure them back to observing times and seasons and Sabbaths and go into bondage again to the old system. The Apostle Paul said, if you want to go back to circumcision, then you're going to fall from grace. But what Jeremiah spoke of? That the circumcision is of the heart that God is looking for. That was the meaning and that was the goal of the outward circumcision that he gave to Abraham and then prescribed by law. That is, I should say, that followed up in the law. It's a matter of the heart. God brought everything to focus. It's a matter of the heart. Better, Hebrews says, better. It's a better covenant through a better mediator. Moses was a mediator. He was a middleman, if you will. He went up to Mount Sinai. He met with the Lord in the cloud and he came down with what God said. He met with the Lord in the tent of meeting, the tabernacle, the entrance. He would come and speak to the people what God spoke. He would come from that Shekinah glory of God. Jesus is a better mediator than the man Moses, which is profound and uh, earth-shattering to the people. But they knew it's the truth. They tasted of the good powers to come. They were partakers of the Holy Spirit. Clearly it's written in Hebrews 6. But Satan began to try to bait them back into a covenant that was now obsolete. As the Lord said in Ezekiel and in Jeremiah, he's going to do away with that old covenant. There's a day coming when he will give a new covenant. He will write the law of God on the hearts, not just on external tables to be preserved in the Ark of the Covenant, but on our very hearts. Not only was the Lord Jesus better than Moses, he was better than Aaron the high priest as a mediator. God specifically had Aaron perform a function that Moses did not and could not. As an intercessor, as a mediator, Jesus was a better high priest, an eternal high priest. No sin, as the other high priests had to deal with their own sin, as well as the sin of the people. And the sin of the people could not be gotten rid of by the high priest's sacrifice of himself because he himself was unclean, needed cleansing with the blood. And the blood was the blood of animals, which can never take away sins permanently. But a better mediator who is able to cleanse even to the conscience level, that's the power of his blood, to purge us 
thoroughly. No one need feel inferior listening to the enemy's lies. The enemy is a nagging, wicked, lying devil. He's a serpent who continually comes to make us feel as if we're less than we are in Christ. God has made us brand new and we have all the power of heaven behind us to be all that God has called us to be. And the enemy is the one who likes to see who can I get to look in the mirror a little bit longer than they should to begin to look at the quote-unquote defects. It's a common ploy of the enemy to get us to look at ourselves and begin to compare ourselves with others and begin to feel discontent and that's a cursed thing. The Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. External body is a shell and God calls us to be grateful to him because he made this body. He gives a brand new spirit. And one day this body will also change corresponding to the inner new life that is given when we became born again. And in the present, at the present, we ought to be thankful that the Lord made us who we are and espouse the qualities of the personality of the Son of God and seek to be like Him within our hearts. As the Lord Jesus said, if the inside is clean, the outside will be clean also. We'll have great assurance with no boasting, with no pride, whether it's white pride or black pride or brown pride or yellow pride, whatever pride it is, nationalistic pride. We'd rather be humble and content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. It's the enemy that comes to us as he inspires Hitler satanically made him feel that he was superior when he was actually the lowest. Made him prescribe what superiority looks like to the people and try to take over the world with his Aryan nation so-called ideal. If you look a certain way and you're from a certain physical stock then you're superior. Evil pride. That pride can be seen all over again in various places even up to this day. God comes with a better covenant the blood that he shed the Lord Jesus Christ which speaks better things than that of Abel's. It's better, better than all the prophets. He's better than all the priesthood. He's better than everything because he's God himself come in the very express image of God's person and he's come to give us a better covenant, a better covenant, better mediator, better intercessor who brings a better covenant. So that's the one word that would, if we can give a one word summary of the book of Hebrews, just remember the word better. And we've outlined the major points of why it's better. Another word we might think is superior. 
superior because it's the son of God. After God spoke to all the prophets and through them, now he sent us his son. Jesus Christ said, especially in Matthew chapter 5, those people of old said this and this. This is what the law said, but I'm telling you this. He came with the authority of God saying, I'm telling you something. Which is a fulfillment of everything I gave you before. I'm bringing something. A better covenant. A better understanding. So the Lord Jesus is greater also, or better, or superior than the angels. He's the Son of God. And with all the doctrine, which is simply the teaching. When somebody says doctrine, biblically it just means the body of teaching. What God is teaching, that's what doctrine is. It's not some man-made laws and rituals and all kinds of tradition. Biblically, God wants us to think of doctrine as the truth that he gives. Man has his doctrines also. That's his version of the truth or his attempt at trying to give, quote-unquote, truth to the people. But it's all empty and, as Jesus said, vain and futile, useless in the end. Because none of that can save. Only the Word of God, the doctrine of Christ can save. Within the teaching in the book of Hebrews, there are these five major warnings. As we look at Hebrews for one last time, it's better, and there are at least five major warnings. One is in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, which is telling us to be careful to listen. Be careful to listen. Take heed. Take heed. There's another warning from chapter 3, verse 7, to chapter 4, verse 13, which is, don't miss the rest. Not rest of something, but the rest of God. The deep rest of God. The Sabbath which is equivalent to salvation. Again, this is speaking to believers, speaking to believers who were being lured by the devil, if possible, to leave that rest, begin to engage in trying to save themselves with their own efforts. This is not to be confused with the works that come from faith that is genuine, that God places within us, where we have to manifest the faith a faith that is not evidenced by a changed life and changed priorities, changed destination, changed attitude. It's a fake faith. It's not real. It doesn't matter how much Christian jewelry one wears, whatever they say about themselves, whatever they are part of, if the attitude and the desires and the destination hasn't changed Nothing's changed. It's just a show. The Hebrew Christians were told, don't leave this that God has given you. Something better has given you. Don't leave it. And failing to enter in means, the context of what we see in Hebrews, that uh, initial salvation 
must lead to continued salvation, which must lead to final salvation. We are saved when we believe. We are being saved as we believe continually, evidenced by obedience, a living fellowship and walk with God. If we're walking the light as he is in the light, then have we fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin and righteousness. See then the first chapter of the epistle of John. We have to continue to be in the light. Only then can we claim to be in the light. Walk in the light, I should say. Only then can we claim to be in the light. If somebody is walking in darkness, the Bible says they're liars. They're not in the truth. Anyone who walks in darkness cannot claim to have a living connection with Jesus because God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Walking in sin shows that I don't belong to God. Don't be deceived. Whoever sins is of the devil. The same epistle of John says by the Holy Spirit. He says if you sin, you're proving that your father is the devil. No matter what you say that God is my father and I'm born again, if you're walking in darkness, you're no longer in the light. You can't be in both places at the same time. Light and darkness don't mix. But if we walk in the light, then we have fellowship with God. Genuine fellowship with God. Then we have genuine fellowship with the body of God, the body of Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanseth us. It's effective so long as we abide in him, John 15. If we begin to leave him, then we're forfeiting the rest. We'll never enter into the final salvation. Because we left the continual salvation. We had an initial salvation, which is supposed to continue. The natural progress is that it'll begin to continue as we get sanctified more and more. And then finally we will see our Redeemer come and take us to be with him forever in the final salvation. When we speak of initial or beginning salvation, continued or continual salvation, and then final salvation, the final salvation is not meant to mean that anything we experienced before that is partial in the sense of inferior or not complete. It is a complete salvation, a complete package, if you will, that God gives us. But it must be continued in in order for it to lead to the complete conclusion of what God wants to give us, which is to bring us to be with him forever. It's very clear in the book of Hebrews that we need to persevere in order to finally enter heaven. The apostle says by the Holy Spirit, if Luke could be called an apostle, the book of Acts, it records that we must through much tribulation enter the kingdom of heaven. The churches were taught this. What do you do with tribulation and suffering and problems? You've got to push through it holding on to Christ. Don't leave Christ when problems come. But get closer to him. And obey him and he'll take care of you. He will make sure that he takes you safely into his heaven. These are themes that even Paul continues to talk about. Fighting the good fight of faith and finishing the race so that we don't miss the rest. 
the warning, five major warnings, take heed. Make sure you listen to God, which means obey Him. Secondly, don't miss the rest. And thirdly, beware of slothfulness and apostasy. It's a dangerous result of not paying attention, becoming casual, laughing and joking and thinking that I'm okay, I'm fine, when I know I'm not walking closely with Him. That's the beginning of the departure. And become slothful. Take God's rest for granted. Begin to not be serious about what God is saying. Become casual and eyes start looking where towards Sodom. We become a little more casual with our appearance. Flirtation with the world and with people. That ugliness that is camouflaged as niceness and people-pleasing takes over and trouble comes. Instead of remembering that we are strangers and pilgrims in this world, we can't act the way the world does because the world is death. It's walking in sin. Don't miss the rest. Beware of slothfulness, laziness, spiritual lethargy, not feeling like reading and praying anymore. Those are the beginnings of the devil's snares. Not feeling like meeting with God's people. Debating and arguing and begin to contend and manifest the pride. And Instead of submitting to the Lord, it can lead to complete departure from God. And that's found in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 to chapter 6, verse 20. It's a good thing to study the scriptures, not just to read them. Reading is the first step. But as we read prayerfully and ask God for understanding, we ought to understand why God gave us that particular verse or chapter or book in the Bible. What is he telling me and what should I do? How should I respond? The fourth major warning is in Hebrews 10, 26 to 31. One of the most frightening passages perhaps in the whole New Testament. The warning is, beware of sinning willfully against God. The presumptuous now, that settling in, not merely flirtation, but a full-blown rebellion against God. I will go back to where I came from. I know where God took me from, but it's really nice to me it's calling me I'm thinking about all the pleasure I can have and all the stuff I can do with my old friends with my dead spiritual family I like to go back and I like to spend some time there I'll be fine fine I'll be full have a lot of fun which will turn a person into a fool. Eventually take them to the fire. Beware of willful sinning against God. Finally, the fifth warning in Hebrews 12, 25 to 29. Beware of disobeying Christ. When we look at this, essentially all five major warnings are warning the believers 
not to sin against God. Not to sin against God. Not to treat God cheap. Not to take his word for granted. Not to despise all this better covenant that he's given to us. Handed to us. It's like a person who's hooked on drugs. He can give them a great job. He can give them a great home. Give them everything that you could to make them feel like royalty and feel comfortable and really blessed. But their mindset, because of the conditioning and the submission to the evil spirits behind drug use, cause that person to trash everything and all they can think of is how to get high never mind all the blessings and all the clean and new and expensive things God has given the mindset is I can't wait to use all of this and leverage it to my advantage to do what go stick myself or snort something that's going to destroy everything God warned us not to do that with all that he's given us. Because if we do, after he's given all of that, he said, a worse punishment than that which people suffered under the law of Moses is going to happen to those who've been given the keys to the kingdom of God, to the mansion of God, and who come in with filthy and wicked proud intentions to overthrow God himself. Satan found a home in Judas. He was with Jesus Christ. He was with the Lord. He was observing the miracles of God. He was sent out with the others to do miracles. He tasted everything of heaven. The more he thought about money and what I can do with money, the more he became a slave of this evil spirit of greed. And it cost him his soul. He lost everything. He became the fool of all time. And all who get lured by pleasure or money or fame or pride whether it be nationalistic pride, whether it be family pride, whether it be racial pride, it all comes from Satan. As we often say, whatever variation God has given us, whatever unique characteristics that he's given to us as a people, our genealogy, our hereditary, characteristics, racial characteristics. We ought to be content with that. We ought to be grateful. We ought to be happy, but never proud. Although people are used to using the word proud to describe their delight in perhaps their child. I'm proud of my child. Why? Because he or she studied so hard and got this. 
we understand that to mean delight and happiness and a sense of um, distinction and proud. But sometimes we may feel that we shouldn't use that word. Perhaps a better word to use is I'm so thankful to God. Maybe that phrase would be better. Because people confuse that word pride and proud with someone feeling that I'm superior. My child is better than yours. Someone may say, God is, I want to make God proud. I remember a young man that we used to minister two years ago. He used to pray, Lord, we want you to be proud of us. We know, I know exactly what he meant. We had a young men's fellowship way before the time when we um, before I was married and sharing the word with young men my age and this young man used to pray from another country used to say Father I want you to we want to make you proud of us meaning that I'd be well pleasing to him and that's a good thing But the lure to feel superior to other people and compare ourselves, which in, this, in essence is to put other people down. Why? Because there's an inferiority complex, that snake. The devil comes. Sometimes the people who act the proudest, the bravest, or the scariest, if I can say scaredy cat, most fearful. They're not content with themselves. They're literally walking on eggshells. And they will react in an abrupt and proud manner because they feel they're being attacked. And so the result is that they begin to put other people down to show their superiority, which reflects that they really have a weak self-concept. But a person who's strong and content who's walking in the light is happy has nothing to prove to anybody because the person knows exactly who they are a majestic lion doesn't pick small squabbles anywhere it's not afraid has nothing to prove Everybody in the jungle knows who that creature is. And so the lion is held up as an animal in the animal kingdom. Something to emulate. The righteous or bold is a lion. The majesty of a lion. King Solomon had these 12 lions. These uh, statues going down from his throne by the stairs. You see the living creatures, the face of a lion. Similar to the eagle. The eagle doesn't have to prove anything. He simply flies higher higher than other birds and very majestic. Nobody can convince an eagle that the eagle is a chicken. 
Nobody can convince a lion, no matter what the scientists say. It's simply a house cat. But there's no contention in striving to prove that I'm a lion, prove that I'm an eagle. So if we are in the light as God is in the light, as Christ is in the light, there's nothing to prove to anybody. Because we're content and we know who we are. It's when people become very nervous and anxious and begin to feel about how they perform in front of people and what they will think and the time and the energy and the hellish life that seeks to keep us in bondage to the fear of man. The Lord came to smash those chains. He says, you follow me. I'll get the job done, which is, I came to make you fishers of men. I came to give you such a testimony, make you so powerful and strong by my grace and by my spirit that I can make you to accomplish or give you the ability to accomplish all that are purposed in you. The Hebrew Christians were told, stay clear of sin, pride, laziness, taking things for granted. Apparently, the warnings that they had since they came to Christ were not enough. Or they needed to be amplified and explained and really drilled into them. That's the danger which they faced perhaps because of the intense persecution. Not to mention the internal Laziness. The pressure of trouble can make us want to throw in the towel. So God is too much. I can't do this. Someone said, man's extremity is God's opportunity. When we reach the end of ourselves and end of our rope and all that we can do, that's when the power of God shows up. If we know that we ought to rest in Him from the beginning and turn to Him and stay with Him. So the book of Hebrews is about better. Better mediator. Better than all the prophets. Better than the angels. Better than the priests. Even the high priest. Who brings in a better covenant. Who it is? Who is it? Who is this? This is the Son of God. And the better covenant. He's given us a better agreement. A better connection with God. A deeper connection. Eternal connection. Through His own blood. And that's the focus of it. He brought blood that can do and has done what no other sacrifice on the planet can do. Other religions have sacrifices too. They mean nothing. They're demons behind those sacrifices. God institutes sacrifices to make us holy and to have a temporal covering until the Son of God should come. And He's come. And the Apostle writing to these Hebrew Christians is saying, you have everything. You have the mansion. Now don't blow it. You have the keys to the kingdom. Don't go after drugs. Don't go after immorality. Don't go after becoming an instrument of the devil to make other people fall. Don't say, I didn't know that when I wore these clothing, I'd make somebody fall. 
my temptation or make them lust. I didn't even think about it, but knowing full well, but choosing to not think about it. In the conversation, I didn't know I, I caused somebody to fall because I kept talking about money and it made them have their eyes get wider and wider thinking about the prospects of fun and pleasure and riches. We're not only responsible for our own souls to make sure we're right with God, but people in our circle, we should not become a stumbling block to them. God will hold us accountable. Beware, beware, beware. After the word better, and because of the word better and all that it implies, perhaps the next word that can describe this book is to beware. As the Spirit of God has given me just now, I've never read it anywhere, but it's a very pertinent, appropriate word to describe the book of Hebrews when it speaks about perseverance and putting away every cumbersome weight that hinders us in this race to get the crown, to reach the goal. Hebrews, what is the book of Hebrews about? Thirteen chapters, how would you describe it? One word, better, but also beware. And perhaps the final description will be two words. Be encouraged. All pointing to you're going to make it. Hold on. Don't give up. Be careful. Beware. Don't give in to sin because that will throw everything out of balance and you lose everything. The description is there. In the final chapter of Hebrews begins with let Brotherly love continue. I'd like someone now to please read once again the book of Hebrews chapter 13 for us and let's all pay close attention. If God's warned us, I've given you something better which is equivalent to the best. I've given you warnings to beware so you don't lose what I've given you. The best I've given you. I want you to be encouraged so that you remain with the best and enter into the rest. Better, beware, be encouraged. Someone please read Hebrews chapter 13 in the New Living Translation, if you will. We'll all listen to the Word of God. Hebrews 13, New Living Translation. Keep on loving each other as brothers and sisters. Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers. Some who have done this have entertained angels without realizing it. Remember those in prison as if you were there yourself. Remember also those who are being mistreated as if you felt their pain in your own body. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Don't love money. Be satisfied with what you have. For God has said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. 
So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. So I will not, I will, I, I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Remember your leaders who taught you the word of God. Think of all the good that has come from their lives and follow the examples of their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So do not be attracted by strange new ideas. Your strength comes from God's grace, not from rules about food which don't help those who follow them. We have an altar from which the priest in the tabernacle have no right to eat. Under the old system, the high priest brought the blood of the animals into the holy place as a sacrifice for sin. And the bodies of the animals were burned outside the camp. Also, Jesus suffered and died outside the city gate to make his people holy by means of his own blood. So let us go out to him outside the camp and bear the disgrace he bore. But this world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. Therefore, let us offer through Jesus a continual sacrifice of praise to God, proclaiming our allegiance to his name. And don't forget to do good and to share with those in need. These are the sacrifices that please God. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your soul. And they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. Pray for us, for our conscience is clear, and we want to live honorably in everything we do. And I especially pray that I will be able to come back to you soon. Now may the God of peace, who brought us from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, may he equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. I urge you, dear brothers and sisters, to pay attention to what I have written in this brief exhortation. I want you to know that our brother Timothy has been released from jail. If he comes here soon, I will bring him with me to see you. Greet all your leaders and all your believers there. Believers from Italy send you their greetings. May God's grace be with you all. Amen. Praise the Lord. I'd like someone to read the same chapter in the New King James Forest so we can hear it again. Hear it one more time before we leave the book of Hebrews. Let's hear God's word. Someone please read it again slowly and clearly and loud enough so we can hear it in another version. Praise be to God. Hebrews 13, New King James Version. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you 
yourself are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can men do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tabernacle have, not, have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sin are burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp, bearing his reproach. For there we have no continuing city, but we seek the one to come. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share for which such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive, for they watch out for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Pray for us, for we are confident that we have a good conscience in all things desiring to live honorably. But I especially urge you to do this, that I may be restored to you the sooner. Now, may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I appeal to you, 
brethren, bear with the word of exhortation, for I have written to you in few words. Know that our brother Timothy has been set free, with whom I shall see you if he comes shortly. Greet all those who rule over you and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be with you all. Amen. 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 Praise be to God. We see that the Bible says, don't be forgetful to entertain strangers. And how many of us can look down on strangers and think that this person is a bum, quote-unquote, this person is not worth my time. Who came to the door? Who's over there looking for my attention? The Bible says maybe you'll be entertaining angels. We think of Matthew 25. The Lord said, when I was naked, you didn't clothe me. They asked him, Lord, when did we see you naked that we didn't help you? When I was hungry, you gave me nothing to eat. Lord, when did we see you hungry? When I was in prison, you didn't visit me. Lord, when did we see you in prison? If we would have known it was you, we would have been there. Inasmuch as you did it not unto the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it unto me. God shatters the selfish lifestyle that we're used to living. Fend for yourselves and get what you want to get. Don't let anyone stop you. If you have to step over or on somebody, it doesn't matter. You go get what's yours. I'm going to get me mine among the models of this world that continues to take a person down the spiral of decay. A completion of the shattering of the image of God, whatever is left of it, to be selfish and greedy like Lucifer and fall. Instead of thinking how I can use my wealth how I can use my time to benefit others. There are people who will do those things in charitable deeds and community service, but they want a part of the pie. They want to be recognized. Just like people do things for tax write-offs. God sees the heart. He says when you're giving, don't let one hand know what the other hand is doing. Don't look for it. Look to God who sees what you do in secret. He will reward you openly. You serve the Lord Jesus Christ, not man. Don't do this thing. And as much as we hear lip service, he said, don't do it for eye service. So other people can see. So it gives a whole new perspective. There's a total liberation. It's not just I'm going to be loyal to God. I'm going to be loyal to the body of Christ and to the pastors of this church. It's not some segmented or compartmentalized religion. It's Christ coming through us in the supermarket. Christ manifesting in our family. His presence. His goodness to everybody. And those in need, we don't 
cast a downward look at them and a snarl and a lisp, or I should say, certain gestures that people make. When they look at somebody, they go, not a, in terms of a kiss, but in terms of, oh well, what does he think he is? So what does she think she needs? Why is she coming to me? All kinds of gestures that show the ugliness of pride and intolerance. Not being able to consider another's needs. But because I have the keys to my fancy car, I have the keys to my fancy home, I have all the groceries I can buy, I'm somebody. Sometimes God has to level us to the point where we have nothing. Then we begin to realize we're nobody without Christ. And that we have a better look through his eyes on the world, the people in need. Strangers. They're not part of my race. They're not part of my family. They're not even part of my neighborhood. They're not part of my church. The Good Samaritan story the Lord told on purpose when the man asked who's my neighbor. He told that parable. Tell them, anybody who's in need, you have the means to help them. And we know from the Spirit of God, God's leading, don't resist that. We're able to quench the Holy Spirit, not only by despising prophecies that are coming from God, because we don't want to hear it, we don't want to understand it, we don't want to receive it, but also by shutting down the promptings of the Holy Spirit, I can shut it down in my life. The least we can do is if we feel a tug, that I should help this person, even though it's a stranger, even though the person may be despised, even though people may say and I may feel, well, they deserve it because they didn't do what they're supposed to do. Did God come to us because we did what we're supposed to do? Or because we didn't do what we're supposed to do? We were full of filth and darkness, evil. When we're ungodly, God came to us. No matter what status we have in this world, before God, we're filthy. We may have promotions on the job. We may have more money and more of this, more of that. And look just right and look better have a makeover, do-over, whatever it is. People do all these things to make them feel like they're good-looking or well-appreciated, better-appreciated. All vanity. It's a lifetime of bondage, after all. has nothing to do with eternity and adds no value to us before God. Why spend excessive time and effort, money, Energy, and that which is, after all, so temporary and usually has a lot to do with vanity. It's what the world does. The Christian is a different creature altogether. One who takes care of what he or she is supposed to take care of, maintain it, and use it for the glory of God. But the focus is on the spiritual. God doesn't say neglect the body, neglect these things, but there's a proportion. There's a proportionate consideration, and that's the key. 
What proportion am I giving? For example, when it comes to tithing, when God observed that widow, it wasn't based on the total value of what she gave. Because she only gave the two mites. Yet she put in more than all the others. Do you know why? Because the proportion was far greater compared to what she had. And so a person who gives that 10% is giving, after all, a proportion that's biblical. But we can't say that if a person gave $10,000 to God in a given week, they must be really, really faithful and loyal to God. If we know that the person is a billionaire, in comparison with the person who gave $10, and all they had was $50 that week, God looks at the proportion. He looks at to what level the heart is involved. Doesn't go to prove that a person is more spiritual necessarily. It's the heart. If it comes from the heart, that cheerful giving is acceptable and a sweet-smelling aroma to God. The proportion of my time that I spend on the physical body How is it compared to the proportion of time and energy that I give to my spiritual soul? Spiritual part of me. And if these things are right, then when I see a stranger, when I see those in need, I'll have time. I have money. I have the heart to think about and give to others. I won't be like this proverbial Scrooge from the tale that most of us are familiar with living to hoard money more and more and more and more and more till he is in danger of losing the very essence of a human being within him and God oftentimes, as we read in the book of Hebrews has to chasten us to make us realize number one we're nothing no matter what we have in this life, what people think about us, how we look at ourselves in the mirror, it means zero when we stand before God. Therefore, rearrange your priorities quick before you get swallowed up with this foolishness. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and say, Lord, all that you've given me, as John Wesley said, as I've heard, he said, make all the money you can Many Christians, including that gentleman I saw on the train one day going into work, he said, I just got baptized. And this is the church I belong to. Here's the app for the church. You can hear the pastor's sermons. And he just went on and on and on. Then he says, my church is having a financial seminar and it's by this famous Christian financial guru. And I don't get enough sleep, but I'm making it to those meetings. And look, I'm buying everything with cash and I'm doing this. Completely obsessed. God and Christianity, even getting baptized. 
doing service and volunteering on the church security team and all these things, the main focus for that gentleman was money. It was very clear. How to make the most of this money. Um, many people will love that. John Wesley didn't stop there. This man used mightily of God. He says, make all the money you can to do all the good you can to all the people you can. When he says make all the money you can, the focus is not to see where I can get the most uh, profitable venture. Just get my hands involved in everything. In this day, in the 1700s, it was a profession, it was a trade. And people would be apprenticed into it and they would work hard and maybe a generational thing passed on to them. But the point is, the industry that's required, the diligence to find what your hands can do that God has given you and give it your best shot so that you can have the maximum profit from that. In order to do what? Give it away as much as you can to all the people you can. That's Christianity because the same John Wesley didn't stop there. It wasn't just a charitable lifestyle in the way we understand charity today. Go do some good works. He emphasized Christian perfection and holiness. Beautiful combination found in Scripture. Live the life from your heart, free from greed, free from covetousness, free from immorality, free from pride, free from jealousy, free from hate, free from bitterness, unforgiveness. Get all that junk out and let God's Spirit flow through you and use your time, talent, treasure to bless people with the objective, just like John Wesley lived. He traveled so many miles, got up early in the morning and preached and late at night and all different times, lived to a grand old age. Heaven will only record how many Thousands upon thousands of people that got saved through. Maybe millions, easily. Got on his horse and went everywhere. Because of the burden that people should know the power of Christ's gospel that saved me. And the Hebrews also says this. Remember those in bonds as if you were in prison with them. Do we care that our Christian brothers and sisters are in jail all over the world? Some locked in remote places, such as the Iranians do, the government there, and many other governments, Indian, parts of Africa, European governments. They lock away these Christians as the filth of the world. Sometimes in remote areas reserved for them, in darkness, in torture. These are brothers and sisters. We have to think that I'm so privileged. How can I afford to be nasty and mean and proud and self-centered and thinking about me and how I look all the time? 
not Christianity. That's something else. But to be humble and thankful and think about others and say, Lord, my words and the ring tone of my calling card and how I speak, does it have any kind of arrogance in it, any kind of pride? Even if I say Christian things, even when I say I'm praying for somebody, I'm doing this, and the encouragement, exhortation I may give to people, how much of me is in there, and what am I looking for? Am I still looking for my presence to be felt? Or is it your presence? There's a whole world of exploration that is deeper than any study of the ocean or space. The macro universe or the micro universe. And that depth of research and exploration is in one's own soul. To let God uncover what really is in my heart and why I do what I do and how I do it. Say, Lord, may you be all in all. Who am I? I'm dust. I'm just dust. But it's not enough to say I'm dust and act like I'm a big rock and give people a piece of my religious mind. God says, take all that ugliness away. Be humble. Be diligent. Persevere as we close today in this brief study of Hebrews over the past several weeks. May I ask who can sum up the word that we can use to describe the book of Hebrews in one word? What is the one word, if you would think about the book of Hebrews, what is it about? And if someone should ask you, not simply to show our knowledge, but to know it for ourselves. What is Hebrews about? One word, someone please tell us. And I'll ask a follow-up couple of questions to that so we can go away retaining this forever. Better. 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 Now, if we can say a summary of Hebrews in two words. Better and what's the next word that we offered as a summary? Better. Beware. Beware. The book of Hebrews is about something far better. Second is to warn us, beware. Beware. And if we can sum up Hebrews in three words slash phrases, it would be better, beware, and finally, be two encouraged. words. Be encouraged. Hallelujah. That's exactly right. The Holy Spirit has given us this epistle. That we can know we have something far better, which is equal to the best. We have the best high priest, the best and superior prophet to all. We have the Son of God himself. He wasn't just merely a prophet, but the Son of God, and he brought in a better covenant. Same time with all that he's given us, he says, beware that you don't lose it. Be very careful. Take heed. And finally, he says, be encouraged, continue. You're coming to a kingdom with countless myriads of angels and just men made perfect. There's a whole family waiting for you to receive you into heaven. Hallelujah. Keep your eyes fixed on the goal. Jesus is there. And he has all his family waiting for us. Hallelujah. As we conclude final remarks here which is applicable to all the Bible and every epistle 
every historical book, every book of the law, every poetic wisdom literature, every major prophet, minor prophet, every gospel, every historical book of Acts, every epistle of Paul, every general epistle down to Revelation, from Genesis to Revelation, when we read by the Holy Spirit, we ought to hear and know this, very concisely presented in the letters, and also presented in the Old Testament books, in the narratives. What is it? Always what God's part is. Secondly, what my part is. Every book of the Bible, even when it's not directly telling us to do something, it's giving us a mirror to look into. So we can know what God has done and then what He requires of me. God's part. Number one, what He has done in the universe. Secondly, what He has done in the world. Thirdly, what He has done in His kingdom. Fourthly, what is done in His body, which is developed in the New Testament. The whole concept of the body of Christ. Fifthly, what he's done in us individually. The new work he's done. God's part. What he's done in the universe, what he's doing. What he's done in the world, what he's continuing to do. What he's done in his kingdom in this world, what he's continuing to do. What he's done specifically in his body, the body of Christ. The various functions and how it relates to one another to bring glory and honor to God. Fifthly, what is my part, what he's doing in me, what he's done in me, what he's doing in me, continues to do in me. The second thing that we see in every part of the Bible, every book that we study, is what he's called us to do in him. What he's made us, what he's called us to do in him. God's part is what he's made us, our part is what he has called us to do in him. What he wants to do us doing us now. He's showing us this is what I'm doing, what I've done in you, what I'm doing in you, and what he wants us to do now. Let me repeat in case I've said it uh, a little abruptly or mixed up. God's part is what he's done in the universe, what he's done in the world, what he's done in his kingdom, what he's done in his body what he's done in us as individuals, what he continues to do. In his universe, in his world, in his kingdom, in his body, in each of us individually. Our part is what God has called us to do in him. Secondly, what he wants us to do now. There's a goal. This is what God wants me to do in the long term. And this is what he wants me to do right now. Specifically, Spirit of God speaking to us. Where we are right now, what we're facing. And thirdly, what He wants us to continue to do until we reach heaven. So, He presents it this way. This is what God has done and is doing and continues to do for His part. His promise, His covenant, His part of the agreement. Because of all of that, this is what he wants me to do in him as an overarching goal. 
which is to become like Christ, to be conformed to his image by obedience. That's the broad goal of God, to become all that he called, us to, called me to be, to grow up into the head, which is Jesus Christ, along with the body of Christ. Then specifically what he wants me to do today, right now. Right now, what is he calling me to do? In reaching for that goal, the overarching goal of becoming like Christ, he says perhaps today you've not been forgiving, you've started becoming unforgiving, now you've got to let go, forgive. Maybe today he says you blew it, you got angry. You need to repent of that and be on guard. So you don't lose it. Maybe you've become selfish. You're thinking more about yourself than you should and less about other people. Maybe you need to reverse that. Spirit of God specifically telling us not just an overarching theme and a broad plan and saying, go get it, do it however you will. He guides us step by step. And today, I need to remove the stumbling block that's keeping me from realizing the goal in this race. And thirdly, God wants me to continue to watch certain things in my life and heed certain things He's told me to do and keep it up until I reach heaven. Initial salvation, continuing salvation, final salvation. All of these are here in Hebrews. And we learn certain principles as we've just spoken about that we can apply to every book of the Bible. Glory be to God. I'd hope to begin Exodus, and that's the book the Lord's put on my heart actually for the past several weeks. That after Hebrews, we would go into Exodus, which would actually also tie in to what we began in life training school. And uh, I may invite some of those students to join us if they can, for their own benefit. The Lord willing, next time we'll begin with the book of Exodus. Shall we pray? Lord in heaven, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. Oh, Lord, I thank you for giving us, Lord, eyes to see, giving us, Lord, a roadmap, giving us, Lord, specifics, Lord, of how to be in this world because of what you are, who you are, Lord, and what you've done in us. Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us nor forsake us, as we read in the book of Hebrews. So be content. Be happy. We have everything, Lord. Oh, Lord, you feed us every day faithfully, Lord. You're so faithful to feed the birds of the air. How much more, your children? So faithful to clothe the grass of the field. How much more us? You adorn us, Lord. Spiritually and physically, materially, Lord. When we think we don't have anything, you do a miracle. Hallelujah. Miracle working God. God who has now spoken to us from heaven through his Son will never leave us nor forsake us. God who is a consuming fire will keep us straight. Keep us from the lake of fire. You will purge us by your spirit, Lord. Because you give us all the warnings, give us all the blessings, all the encouragement to keep persevering, to throw off the things that are stumbling blocks, sin. That we can enjoy this life in spite of the tribulations and enjoy the forever rest when every struggle will be put down, every opposition crushed, no more tears, no more hunger, no more tiredness, no more weeping, no more grief, nothing. Lord, help us to see you clearly, see the goal clearly, to persevere. 
with everything we've got. Thank you, Lord, that you've done your part, Lord. You continue to do your part. We can count on you to always do your part. You want to usher us into heaven, Lord. And you want us to shine the light and be useful to you in your kingdom while we're here. You've spoken about so many attitudes and so many things, Lord, that need to be changed if we're guilty. Let the word of God change us. Father, take away every defense, every self-defense, every excuse, every alibi from each of our lives that we can simply come to you and say, Lord, we're dust, just clay. You tell us what to do. You tell us, Lord, and you show us and you help us to change our attitudes. Help us not to despise anyone. Help us to be humble. Help us to esteem others better than ourselves. Help us not to compare ourselves, Lord, to feel inferior and act superior. Oh God, Jesus takes one germ, Lord, to cause a person to fight for his or her life and realize we're after all nothing. Then when we bounce back from some kind of ruin, potential ruin and trouble, disaster and sickness, Lord, help us not to go back to being the way we were, but to be more humble. Help us to seek forgiveness for all the mean things we've done in our lives, Lord, to have a thorough cleansing, to feel truly sorry, being mean to people on the job, being mean to people who need our help, being mean to families and joining with the crowd and us versus them and in the office and in the family. Help us to get rid of all the ugliness and to be true before you because you'll call us to judgment for everything that's been unconfessed and unrepented of one day. May the fear of God be upon us. We may finish the race, Lord. Serve you in an acceptable manner with reverence and awe. Thank you, Father, for your word, O oh Lord. And we encourage each other by your spirit that each one of us will make it in a glorious fashion for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.